You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. In just a few moments, we're going to be taking a look at Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, where we're given a snapshot of our brand new, Spirit-led life. But before we take a look at that, just a couple quick things I wanted to share with you. First of all, I wanted to share something with you that I'm excited about. It's something that was just completed today, and that's the full recording of the Chapter a Day audio Bible. For the past three years, I've been recording the Scriptures, one chapter a day, and then putting it up in podcast form for others to listen to and hopefully enjoy throughout the course of their day. And just today, I finished recording the final chapter of Scripture, Revelation chapter 22. So that's been a very enjoyable project. I know many of you that listen to this podcast also listen to the Chapter a Day audio Bible. And I appreciate your prayers for these podcasts because the Lord seems to be using them to encourage people in places that I'll probably never have the privilege to visit. There's even people that listen to these podcasts in part of the world where Christians are experiencing intense persecution. So we're grateful that the Lord's opened up the door for us to have this opportunity to share the Word of God, to share scriptures as they're recorded, to speak about the things that His Word states, and by His grace to grow in our walk with Him. So thanks for being part of this project, and thank you to those of you who pray for us as we seek to make this content available. I'd also invite you to stop by our website this week, which is desirejesus.com, and you'll find a bunch of resources there. We have our blog there, we have our bookstore there, and a few other things that we hope will encourage you in your walk with Christ. Now, as I mentioned at the start of our episode, today we're looking at Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, and we're taking a look at a snapshot of our brand new Spirit-led life. Let's take a look together. Today we're continuing our look at the book of Romans, and we're going to be in chapter 8, so we're about halfway through the book of Romans, and uh, today we're going to be talking about this idea of taking a look at a snapshot of your brand new Spirit-led life, because in the opening verses of Romans chapter 8, it gives us a picture of a new life that the Lord has facilitated. So if you would take your Bibles and open with me to Romans chapter 8. We're just going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. And this is what it says in uh, verse 1 of Romans chapter 8. It starts by saying this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, 
if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for Your Word, and thank You for the privilege that it is to be able to gather together today and to read it and to study it and to just have the privilege to be able to worship You openly as we do so. Lord, we pray that You'd help our minds and our hearts to understand and apply the things that we're reading from this chapter. And we pray, Lord, that our walk with You would continue to grow and that You would continue to display Your goodness in our lives as a testimony to those that observe what You're doing in us. So, Lord, thank You for this new Spirit-led life that You've blessed us with. And we pray that we would use it for Your glory. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So a while back, actually this wasn't too terribly long ago, I, I still actually have the, uh, the envelope on my dresser at home, but someone that uh, I hadn't seen or spoken to in decades, so it's literally been decades, I think it's at least been about 20 years since I've seen or spoken to this person, they sent me a handwritten letter, and it was nice to kind of catch up and see what was going on with her family and, and all the things that were, were taking place there. And they also sent, she also sent me pictures of my family with her family from a few decades ago that I guess she had found when she was cleaning something out. And she thought that I might enjoy uh, seeing some of these things. So it was nice to hear from her. It was nice to see these pictures to a degree. But as I was looking at the pictures, and you probably do this too, when you're looking at old pictures, particularly that you're in, do you think about all the things that were going on in the context of your life surrounding those pictures? You know, does it take your mind back to, you know, what life was like back then and where you lived back then and who you saw on a day-to-day -day basis or where you worked or, or what things looked like? And as I was looking at, looking at these pictures, and uh, so my wife and I are, are there together and we're looking back at this, and uh, I pointed out to her, and I, I, I think I said something to this effect. I said, aren't you glad that that's not today? Like, aren't you glad that that's not now? Because the pictures were taken at a season that both of us would admit that was not our favorite season of life. You know, it was not a very enjoyable context and, and all sorts of things were going on around us um, that, that at that time were not that enjoyable. And uh, I was reminded about how happy I was that I was living now and not back when that picture was taken. Now, have you ever experienced something like that? You know, when you're looking through things, when you're looking through pictures. Uh, to be honest, I'm actually glad that for the most part I grew up in the era before digital photography uh, because when I was growing up, to take a picture cost you something, right? It cost you something to take the picture and to develop it. So I'm glad that there is not much evidence of my lowest seasons of life. There's really not a whole lot of visual proof. You'd have to just take people's word for it, and I could easily deny it. And, uh, you know, there's really no track record that you could follow or, or picture evidence of some of those lower seasons for the most part. Um, but when you look at what the Lord does in our lives, I think one of the things that the Lord recognizes will be the case in your life and in my life 
is that over time we'll probably develop a perspective as we come to know Him and our relationship with Him grows deeper and deeper. We'll develop a perspective that, that has a growing appreciation for the work that He's done within us or the new life that He's blessed us with. The longer we walk with Jesus, the less we resemble the person that we once were. The longer we walk with Him, the more distant we tend to feel from the life that we once lived. In Christ, we've been given a brand new life. And there are aspects of this life that we're invited to gain a better understanding of when we take a look at what His Word happens to say. And the portion of Scripture that we're looking at today from Romans chapter 8, as we're looking at verses 1 through 11, what it does is it gives us a snapshot of this brand new life that we have in Christ And it's a life that's not led by the priorities of this world. It's not defined by the priorities of this world or the passions of our old nature. Our new life is a life that's being led by the Holy Spirit. And when you look at these verses from Romans chapter 8, they give us a picture of what that new life looks like. And it looks drastically different both internally and externally from the life that we were living before. And as we look at this portion of Scripture, I want us to ask a few questions just to kind of prompt our thinking about the work that the Lord's doing in us and around us. And one of the questions I want to start with today is this, are you condemned or are you free? Now that's a significant question, and the answer to it is something that that ultimately either is going to prompt joy or it's going to prompt regret, depending on what our answer to the question happens to be. Are you condemned or are you free? Look again at the first few verses. Let me restart here at verse 1. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let's pause there for just a moment. So in Christ, we're free. Through Christ, who took our condemnation upon himself at the cross, the Scripture tells us that we are no longer condemned, provided that we trust in him. But it could be very easy for us to forget this truth, even though it's plainly stated in Scripture. Even though when you look at a verse like Romans 8.1, it clearly states it. It plainly states it. Now, it's, I think it could be easy to condemn others in our own minds. And I think it could be very easy for us to be people who tend to condemn ourselves from time to time. And to be honest with you, I think I'm harder on myself than I ever am on anyone else because I find that my mind is very good at remembering all kinds of details, particularly the specifics of everything I've ever said or everything I've ever done that I now regret. And I think it's good to learn from those experiences, those experiences, um, but it's not healthy to dwell on the mistakes of our past in a condemning fashion. Because when you look at what this Scripture tells us, it tells us that Jesus has already dealt with the condemnation that we deserved. Again, in in verse 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
no condemnation. But I think it can be helpful to remember where we came from and who brought us to the point that we're at. And the Apostle Paul, when you look at this portion of Scripture, he makes it clear when he tells us that the law of the Holy Spirit has set us free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death that used to govern us. Saying that used to govern us, but now the Holy Spirit has set us free. Before knowing Christ, the Scripture reveals to us, we were dead in our trespasses. We were dead in our sins. Before we knew Christ, we were without hope. We were just basically biding our time, just going along until the inevitable day of our accountability before the throne of God would eventually come. But the Holy Spirit, in the meantime, has now regenerated us. He's made us alive. He's the one that's now leading our lives. Sin and death once ruled over us, but now their sting and their power have been taken away. Well, how was this accomplished? Well, when you look at these opening verses, it tells us how it was accomplished. It says, it was accomplished ultimately by the Father who sent His Son to this earth to be born in human flesh, to fulfill the requirements of the law, and then to condemn sin itself. He condemned sin by defeating it. And by demonstrating the fact that it operates on a timetable, meaning sin will not reign victorious over God's people or over God's creation forever. During this season, we still deal with the effects of sin, but the day is coming when all things will be restored and sin will reign no more. Now, I love what it tells us, speaking of this, in 1 Corinthians 15, particularly when you look at verse 54 down to verse 57, but it says, Death is swallowed up in victory. And then it says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord, Jesus Christ. That's the victory that our Lord shares with us. He has defeated the power of sin. He's defeated the power of death that once reigned over us. In fact, through Christ, the Scripture tells us sin no longer reigns over us. It doesn't reign over you. It doesn't reign over me if we are in Christ. Meaning the scripture is telling us we've been divinely empowered to stop living and to stop thinking according to the dictates of our old sinful nature. That doesn't need to be the pattern of your life anymore. That doesn't need to be the pattern of my life. At this point, those who's call, those, um, who call on Christ as Lord. So if we call on Christ as Lord, The Scripture tells us here that we are enabled to walk according to the Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit begins doing in you and in me as we're walking according to His leading is He empowers our thinking. And He gives us His wisdom. And He grants us guidance. And He even gives us the right words to say in a given moment. Have you ever found yourself in a context like that? where you can tell that the Holy Spirit has guided your thinking and He's given you the exact words to say to a specific person in a specific moment because you've watched as it ministered or blessed that person, ministered to them or blessed them or encouraged them in a moment that they needed it, or you've experienced a moment where the Lord gives you an answer through the power of His Holy Spirit that you've been praying for, and all of a sudden your heart experiences rest and comfort And you can tell that the Holy Spirit is divinely orchestrating and accomplishing this kind of work in your heart and in your life. The Holy Spirit begins to 
to help us to see life and ourselves and other people and even our circumstances through the eyes of God instead of adopting the perspective of this world. And that's what the Apostle Paul was setting up our thinking here to begin to understand in Romans chapter 8. He's showing us the fact that we're, we're people who are now free in Christ. We're, we're people who are no longer living as those under condemnation. And this has an impact in every aspect of our being. Meaning, in Christ, we are no longer living as condemned people who just sit around waiting impending judgment. Because through His sacrificial death that was done in our place, He secured our freedom. And now instead of dwelling on the fruit of death, the Scripture tells us that our minds have been lifted up and transformed so that we can dwell on greater things. But think about this for just a moment. When you think about bringing your life under a, you know, some sense of control, does that seem challenging? Let me give a few examples that I think are relevant for this time of year. This time of year. How many of you have already told yourself that um, during this season of the year you're going to get a little bit more serious about exercising? So we're three weeks in, and I'm not going to ask you how many of you are keeping that. Right? We're three weeks into a new year. That's a challenge. One of the things that I've been challenging myself to do, and I made sure to put like a short timetable on this because I didn't want to lie to myself. Um, so there are a few restaurants in the area here that I really enjoy. Nothing fancy, but I enjoy these places, and the people that run these places know that I enjoy them because I just sign over a part of my paycheck uh, to them, and I eat there. Effectively, it seems like that. But they, I mean, put it this way. Last week, I met there with a, a couple other pastors in the area at one of the places that, that I like to go to, and they didn't even ask me what I wanted to drink when I came in. They just came over and brought me a seltzer. And uh, I was like, thanks. And my friends are looking at the, that and they're like, you eat here a lot, don't you? And I was like, I really do. I eat here a lot. But I got a salad that day, that day. But what I've been trying to do, um, and there are a few people that know that could back me up on this, that so far I've been behaving, but it's really, really early in the year. I've been saying to myself, okay, you know what you need to do? You know, low-carb stuff doesn't seem to work well for you. You know, this, you know, eliminating all of this and all that doesn't seem to work well for you. But the one thing that's ever worked for me was portion control. And it's like, so if I'm just a little bit more careful about the portion sizes of the things that I'm eating, then I can still eat those things and not have to buy new pants. So I've been trying to do that for three weeks, but guess what? It's challenging. And you know when it's particularly challenging? at about 9.30 at night. 9.30 at night, I'll sit down, and, and my wife and I were joking about this the other day because we both had a really good day, and the two of us were looking at each other and we're like, man, I'm hungry. <laughs> and I could see the compassion in her eyes toward me, and she could see the compassion uh, <laughs> that I had toward her, and I, I said, follow me. I said, follow me. And we walked into the kitchen, and I knew that she had, had purchased, you ever have those pretzels that are like chips, those pretzel thins? And I took like four or five of them out of the bag, and I split each of them in half, and I ate half, and she ate half, and we ate them really slowly. And I was like, we're, we're better now, aren't we? We're better. <laughs> it's hard, like, when you're trying to bring things that have been a little bit out of control in your life, it's hard to bring these things under control. And it's one thing to be talking about, at, like, things related to behavioral patterns or things like that. But how about this? 
Try to get your mind under control. Isn't that even harder? Try to get your mind under control. You know, try and control what passes through your thinking. That's particularly challenging. And so the next question that I want to ask related to what this Scripture tells us is this, what does your mind dwell on? What does your mind dwell on? Now, I'm bringing it up because the Scripture brings it up, but look at what it says in verse 5. Because again, we're talking about this new life we've been given and what it looks like and the fact that we're no longer condemned. We're now free in Christ. But what what do our minds dwell on? What does our thinking look like? Verse 5 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now I think uh, one of the things that the Lord wants us to do over the course of our lives is to learn from other people. And there are people in my life that I look to, and I would say they are examples of godliness that I want to learn from and emulate and put into pattern or into the pattern of my life some of the practices that I see them practicing. And I've learned from them. And then there are other people in my life that the Lord's allowed me to observe that have the opposite effect. I look at certain things and I say to myself, I need to make sure I don't end up incorporating that manner of living or that manner of thinking into my own life because it's going to produce the same kind of fruit that I'm watching it produce in that person's life. Now, in my extended family, there is a man that I have observed over the course of my life, most of my life. Uh, He's always been very nice to talk to. But he's also shown me that he doesn't think about very many big things. Do you know what I mean by that? He doesn't think about like deeper level or bigger things. His mostly, or his mind is, uh, it's mostly set on things like the weather, taxes, local government, and how much he's getting paid. Those would be the four categories, right? Weather, taxes, local government, and how much he's getting paid. And he's never seemed to ask deeper level questions, and he definitely doesn't show, from what I can observe anyway, very much interest in spiritual things. His mind dwells on very small things. And that's where he stays. And he's always stayed that way in the the decades that I've had the privilege to know him. So that's somebody else. Sometimes it's a little bit easier to observe somebody else than it is for us to ask ourselves questions that we need to ask. But let's turn that around now and just ask ourselves the question, what does your mind dwell on? What does your mind dwell on? What consumes a large percentage of your thinking? What occupies your thinking? Let me throw a few things out there. You know, do the worries of this world consume your thinking? Or do the temptations of your flesh consume your thinking? Or can you say 
that your old pattern of thinking has been curiously interrupted and uplifted by the presence of the Holy Spirit. When you look at what the Apostle Paul says in the verses that we just read, this scripture tells us that those who still live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. They live for their creature comforts. Their greatest yearning is for temporary things. They care more about the opinions of their peers than they care about the desires of the Lord. And in fact, they've embraced a pattern of thinking that's actually, according to this scripture, in hostile opposition to God. But those who set their minds on the things of the Spirit experience the joys of true life and true, true peace as the Holy Spirit prompts these things in their thinking. The mind matters. I think we'd all agree. Our minds matter. What we think about matters. What we dwell on mentally, it matters. It comes out in my life and in your life in one way or another. The things we dwell on do tend to show up. But the mind is a very challenging thing to control. And in fact, naturally speaking, I'm not convinced that we naturally have the power to bring it ultimately under the kind of control that it needs to be brought under. And sometimes, you know, when you're wrestling through this, does it feel like your mind is working against you at times? You ever feel like, hey, hey, mind, like if you could just cooperate, right? You could just take a day off. Hey, if you couldn't decide to get all like activated with all the worries of the world right when I'm trying to go to sleep, right? Or, you know, if, if you couldn't um, like work through all the what-if scenarios of, of uh, you know, what it's going to look like, you know, as as this person is out driving, and then the weather looks like this, and so I'm like, well, what if this happens, and what if this happens, and you know, how about, how about we take a break, mind, right? How about we just kind of settle down for just a little bit? Sometimes it feels like it's working against us. Sometimes, you know, if you want to categorize some of the ways that our minds, you know, actually at times act like they're working against us, you know, do you struggle with being persistently negative? Do you struggle with inappropriate lust or irrational anxiety or a covetous perspective toward the blessings that the Lord has given other people? Are these things that you've ever wrestled with? Truth is, every one of us has wrestled with every one of those things, right? As human beings with the sin nature, we wrestle with this stuff. And then we look at a portion of Scripture like this and we discover that this is not God's desire for our minds. He doesn't want the mind of a rescued and redeemed man or woman to operate according to the dictates of this world. A mind that's hostile to God. A mind that's in opposition to God. But how can that kind of thinking be overcome? Because a lot of times, admittedly, you know, any one of those categories, when we think about these things, it's like, what, like, where did that thought come from? Or like, what, you know, why am I thinking that way today? Or, or why is my mind going in this worrisome direction? Or whatever it may be. How do you overcome that kind of thinking? You know, what does it look like to set our minds on godly things? How does this really work in the life of one who's been rescued and redeemed through Jesus Christ? Let me share a few things that I think are practical and biblical that can help us develop minds that mentally dwell on the things of Christ. And I'll put them up here on the, the screen behind me. First thing is this. Submit yourself to the Lord 
so your thinking will be fruitful. Now think about this for just a second. Submit yourself, submit your mind, submit your life to the Lord so your thinking will be fruitful. In Galatians 5.16 it says, But I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I think a lot of times part of the reason why we tend to gratify the desires of the flesh is we're not submitting our lives to the Lord. We're not walking by the Spirit. We're trying to walk in the flesh. And if we're trying to walk in the flesh, what's going to happen even in our thinking? We're going to be thinking about things that are more along the lines of gratifying the desires of the flesh. But if we submit ourselves to the Lord, I believe our thinking will be fruitful. So we welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit to accomplish His work in our lives. I think a second thing that Scripture teaches us that has a direct impact on our pattern of thinking and what our minds dwell on is prayer. Scripture teaches us to be people who seek the Lord in prayer. Consider what it says in Philippians 4.6. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You know what produces anxiety in our lives? Do you ever boil it down to, to what it's really coming down to? Is it not coming down to our desire to control things that we don't have the ability to control? Don't you do that? I do that. You know, we tend to think about, you know, the things that I worry about and the things that you worry about really come back to the fact that we're trying to control things that we don't have the capacity to control. And what is Scripture inviting us to do? It's inviting us not to be anxious about things that we can't control anyway, but to give these things that burn our minds and our hearts over to the Lord because ultimately, He's the one that has control. He's the one that can be trusted. And number three is, is right along those lines, and that's this. Trust that God is truly in control. You know, when we were uh, a little while ago looking at different attributes of God as we were looking in a previous sermon series, we were talking about God's nature and His attributes. Well, one of the things Scripture reveals to us is the fact that God is sovereign. What does that mean if God's sovereign? It means that He's in control. God is in control. And sometimes we forget that because either we have the desire to be in control or we're struggling to trust God to do what only He can do. But Scripture teaches us to trust that God is truly in control. It tells us when we take a look at Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, it says, But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. God truly is in control. Scripture also teaches us when we're talking about this idea of trying to uh, think on things above or dwell on godly things, it also teaches us to be intentional about what we feed our minds. Be intentional about what you feed your mind. One of the things that um, I've done reasonably well with uh, over the past few months is I, I've been very intentionally cutting out a lot of TV from my mind. I do make it from my life so that it's not impacting my mind in negative ways. I do watch certain things, so I, I you know, particularly football. Um, and, but I, I, I think sometimes, just instinctively, I'd sit down and I'd put the TV on as like a force of habit. Not even because I had anything in mind to watch, it's just because I'm sitting. So if I'm sitting, obviously that glowing box needs to be on. How could I possibly sit and drink a seltzer without uh, this TV being on, right? And it kind of dawned on me. I was like, why am I doing that? I should read more. So I put a stack of books right next to my, my favorite chair. And now I've been challenging myself when I 
go to reach for the TV, it's like, should you watch TV? It's like, there's not a specific thing you want to watch. Just read. Read something. Be intentional about what you feed your mind. It actually has a very healthy impact. I love what it tells us in Philippians 4.8. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Do you ever think about the fact that what we feed our minds is another form of dieting? It's another diet. You know, we would say, don't, don't fill your body with a whole bunch of things that are unhealthy, and yet our mind is on a steady diet of a whole bunch of things that really lead us in a bad direction, and then we're wondering why our minds tend to drift toward thinking about unhealthy things, or why we find unhealthy fruit coming out of our lives, and it's like, okay, well, what does the diet you're feeding your mind look like? And if the diet you're feeding your mind doesn't look like what we're told in Philippians 4, 8, about pure and lovely and commendable and excellent things, things that are worthy of praise? Well, don't be surprised when unhealthy things start coming out of your life or unhealthy things start coming into your mind because that's the diet your mind has been used to receiving. And Scripture tells us not to dwell on ungodly things. One other thing that I think impacts our thinking, and that's this, our speaking. Because the kind of speaking that we engage in and the kind of speaking that we listen to and invite, it has an impact on what we think. And I think our conversations should be Christ honoring. In Colossians 4, 6, it says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let your speech always be gracious. So what's the Scripture teaching us? It's teaching us that through faith in Christ, we've been given a new mind. And this is a mind that's been transformed. This is a mind that's been renewed in its perspective. And we're invited to seek the Lord's guidance and rely on His power to dwell on the things that honor Him because He's made us a a temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. The Lord hasn't invited us to dwell on godly things and have a new perspective in our thinking in our own power. He hasn't said to me, John, go and do this in your own strength and wisdom. Or Andrea, go and do this in your own strength and wisdom. The Scripture reveals to us that the Holy Spirit is the one who's guiding our steps and impacting our thoughts and giving us the strength to do the very things that we're invited to do in Scripture. And the last question I want us to ask today as we look at what this tells us is does the Spirit dwell in you? Because if the Spirit dwells in you, He's the one who's going to empower you to do the things that we're being encouraged to do here in this portion of Scripture. But if you look at verse 9 down to verse 11, it says this. It says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin... The Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Now, I'm an optimist, not because of what I can control, but because of what God has clearly 
been orchestrating throughout the course of history and also what I've had the opportunity to observe him do in my day-to-day life. But it isn't always obvious or easy for me to catch on to what he's doing at first, and maybe you wrestle with that as well. Because what I've noticed the Lord doing in my life and in your life and in the lives of those who truly follow him is that he stretches our thinking and he develops our faith in such a way that he enables us to learn the joys of trusting him more completely as we walk with him over time. So he's intentionally and gradually stretching you and he's stretching me in such a way that our faith is built. That's the process that the early disciples went through as well. Throughout the course of his earthly ministry, yet Jesus teaching the uh, early disciples many different things. They observed him doing miracles. They heard him teaching large crowds. They also had the privilege to sit with him in quiet, semi-private sessions where he would teach them many different things. And repeatedly, he told these disciples the things that were going to happen to him. When you look through the Gospels, you can see repeatedly, he tells them exactly what's going to happen and the order that it's going to happen. He told them that he was going to be rejected. He told them that he was going to be arrested. He told them he was going to be executed. And he told them ahead of time that he would be raised back to life. It's all there in the Scriptures, but it didn't seem to click in their minds. I don't know why they didn't fully catch the essence of what Christ was trying to tell them in those initial moments. Sometimes I wonder if it's just one of those examples of only hearing what you want to hear. You know, do you ever do that when you realize like, yeah, I kind of uh, have the ability to just hear what I wanted to hear and not what was actually being said. And so I think that because what Jesus was saying along the way didn't exactly fit with what the disciples wanted to hear from him, they tended to minimize some of these thoughts of him being rejected and him being arrested and executed and even the fact that he would rise from death. It didn't seem to fully catch their attention. But then after these things were fulfilled, they gradually developed an understanding. But in the meantime, their initial response when Jesus was executed and when he was buried was to panic and flee and hide. That's what they did. They panicked, they fleed, or fled, right? Fled. They fleed. That'd be something totally different, wouldn't it? I don't know what the sanitary conditions were at the time. Come on. They panicked. They fled, and they hid. Heed, hid, heed. One of them. Either way, it didn't go super well. (laughs) At first. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, as Jesus rises from death on the third day, they learn something that they had been missing, even though it had been taught to them before. When Christ rose from death, He defeated death. When Christ rose from death, He defeated Satan. He defeated sin. What He was doing in His resurrection, in His victorious resurrection, was He was showing us that He had now defeated the very things that had intentionally been keeping us captive. And the victory that He secured in that moment is a victory that He shares with us. And the Scripture goes on to tell us that at the moment you trusted in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit took up residence within you. The moment we trust Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells us. He lives within us. And then when we look at this portion of Scripture, this portion of Scripture reveals to us that just as Christ rose from death, so too will we. 
As Christ rose from death, so too will we. Look at verse 11 of Romans 8. It says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The Holy Spirit raised Jesus from death. He lives within all who trust in Christ. And knowing that to be the case, we're reminded of something in this particular passage that I think is useful for bolstering our confidence in a Christ-honoring way. And that's this. We are not destined to die. And even now, the mindset that we adopt and the way that we walk in this life, I think it should uh, enthusiastically demonstrate the fact that we have been made truly alive. Not just physically alive, but spiritually alive. Death has completely lost its power over our flesh. Death has completely lost its power over our spirit. And when you look at a portion of Scripture like we've just looked at from Romans chapter 8, what it's doing is it's granting us a beautiful snapshot of our brand new spirit-led life. A life that that's a life of freedom, not a life of condemnation. You know, a life that's empowered by the Holy Spirit who has completely transformed our thinking. When you were growing up, you probably had a, a mental picture of what your ideal life was going to look like. But I hope when you take a look at a portion of Scripture like this, that one of the things that you can see is that what we've been given through Christ is far better and more enduring than anything we could have dreamed up on our own. Whatever your image for your life happened to be, when you compare it to this new Spirit-led life that we have through Jesus Christ, as the Holy Spirit lives within us and accomplishes His work within us, it's far better than anything we could have dreamed up at any earlier stage. Our minds used to be governed by death, disease, and depression, but now our minds have been lifted up in Christ. Our outcome was one of condemnation, but now it's one of freedom because we've been made new in Christ. And here in this portion of Scripture, we're given just a snapshot of the implications of what Christ has done. And what He's doing is He's empowering you and He's empowering me and He's empowering every person that He's recreated and renewed to live a life that no longer is governed by the pattern or mindset of this world, but to live a life that brings Him glory as He empowers us to bring Him glory in every context that He places us in. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. And we thank You for the privilege that it is to be able to look at a portion of Scripture like this today. To be given a snapshot of this new life that You have granted us. A life that isn't governed by the passions of our flesh or the priorities of this world, but a life that's empowered and led by Your Holy Spirit. Father, we're grateful for the fact that our minds don't have to just go in the direction that they once went in or dwell on the things that they once dwelled on. You've given us a new mind. You've renewed our, our minds. You've transformed our thinking. 
And by Your grace, we're enabled to walk with You. So Lord, we pray that if we've been wrestling with things right now that maybe either fall into the category of just an unhealthy level of negativity or pessimism or irrational lust or irrational anxiety or a desire to control things that ultimately only You can control, we pray that we would joyfully learn what it means to submit our minds over to You. And that we would trust You to do the work that You're doing. And that we wouldn't resist You, but that we would cooperate with You. We're grateful, Father, for the privilege to be able to look at a portion of Scripture like this today. And we pray, Father, that You would set us up, that You would set our minds up today and this coming week to focus on the very things you've called us to focus on so that our lives and our minds and our actions and everything else that that constitutes us would bring you glory we're thankful again for this reminder we commit ourselves to you now we pray this all in jesus name amen Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Informal Bible Study. As I mentioned at the start of the episode, we'd invite you to stop by our website this week, which is desirejesus.com. Make use of our Bible studies and our blog and our books and all sorts of things that we have available there on the website for you. We're always grateful to know that others are finding these things helpful in their walk with Christ. So that's available for you right there at desirejesus.com. But that's it for us today. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. And we look forward to catching up with you again right here next Monday. Take care. What do you do when the world around you is falling apart? It's amazing to me how many people are breathing air. They're going about their business and doing the things you're supposed to do. But if you really ask them, they know that on the inside, they are spiritually and emotionally and relationally dead. If we're not careful, all of us can experience that death. When what we need to do, even as the world around us is falling apart, we need to learn how to march when it would be easier to stay where we are and die. Join me each week on the March or Die show as we discuss that and so much more.